Good morning this morning. And goodbye to our youth group. They're headed out. Uh, they're going to go on with Pastor Jimmy. If you're interested in uh, checking out the youth group and you're in the youth age-ish, uh, head on out. Uh, just so you guys know, they're also tracking uh, through the same uh, things that we do. So as, they, as we were doing biographies, uh, Wonder Women, they were doing Wonder Women as well, and just to age appropriately. So feel free to ask your young people what they were learning about, and it should uh, hopefully parallel with what you're learning about, uh, so we can have a discussion with, uh, with our young people on the way home and that sort of stuff. And uh, So they'll be in this Philippians passage as well today. Uh, we are picking up in our Philippian passage. We're going through all of Philippians in the next now seven weeks. Uh, last week we saw Paul telling his friends in Philippi that he loved them and that he was glad to partner with them in the gospel. He wanted them to continue to grow in love, but based in knowledge and depth of insight of God. And uh, that would ultimately lead to right living uh, and God's glorification. And so we're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, verse uh, 12 through 30 today. If you're following along in your Bible or your Bible app, uh, go ahead and grab that out. We are using the NIV uh, for this study as we walk through here. And uh, so here we are jumping right into Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 12. Now I want you to know, Paul's writing to his church, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So God's blessing and power was still with Paul. He wanted to assure them that just because he got locked up in jail doesn't mean that God wasn't with him. It doesn't mean that he was outside of God's will, even though some bad circumstance happened. Because sometimes we think that, right? We think like when things are going well, that means God's with us. And if something goes wrong, then God is not with us. And he wanted to assure the church that circumstances didn't dictate if God was with them or not. Even in the middle of being in prison, he said, God is with me. I'm still in the will of God. I'm still loved by God. I'm still doing the things of God, even in these current circumstances. Though they were incredibly difficult and negative circumstances, we see that the gospel advances, even in that difficult circumstances. So while he was in prison this time, he happened to go to prison at least three times. This time, while he was in prison, he wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote the book of Ephesians that are all like eternally in the Bible. And so that's pretty profitable work, right? So he's in prison and God out of his imprisonment lets him calm down, quiet down. He's got a little bit of free time now. People aren't coming to knock on the door all the time for Pastor Paul. And so he gets to pen these books that will ultimately advance the gospel. So God has a plan even while he's in prison. Plus, while he's in prison, the believers that he had planted, especially in Philippi and other churches, they were emboldened to live their faith out loud, even though to do so would cost them their lives. So they, they see Paul, and then Paul was willing to go to jail for it, and Paul was willing to get executed for it, and they're like, well, if he's going to, then I'm down to do this too. And so his imprisonment not only allowed him to write books, but it also empowered the believers. Like if Paul is the only one doing work, there's a little bit of work can, that can be done. But if everybody is empowered in the churches to do work, the work is magnified. And so Paul says, my, my being in prison, it's actually advancing the gospel. It's going better here with me in prison than when I was free. He said, additionally, there are some other folks that we never would have been able to reach that we're able to reach. 
He said, there, there's some palace guards. There's some uh, royal officials. <laughs> Can you imagine the guard that is stuck guarding Paul 24-7? Because like, he's like, hey, Jesus this, Jesus that. And the guy's like, all oh, right, I got your Jesus. Okay? And Paul's like, no, 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 let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's like, well, did you see the football game? Yeah, the football game was cool. But well, you know what about Jesus? I want to tell you about Jesus. He died on the cross, and then he rose for your sins. I know you said that like yesterday. <laughs> and Paul's like, no, I got to tell you about it. I'm praying for you right now. And and this guy can't escape because he's guarding Paul, right? And so like, he's like, okay, we're going this way. Oh, we're going this way? Okay. And so Paul's like just chained to him and following him around. And, and so these guards eventually, some of the guards are like, okay, okay, I'll take your Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I've had enough. I've got to say yes to this Jesus. So all that Jesus talk, can you imagine? And Paul's probably pretty intense. Like I tend to talk about Jesus a lot, maybe too much with people. Uh, one time I was going to Magic Mountain and some poor guy was stuck driving and, and he wasn't a believer and I was just like Jesus talking the whole time. <laughs> and later he told one of our friends, he's like, man, he never stops talking about Jesus. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, he eventually became a believer, so then he was like, all good. I know, it's a little powerful. And, but, so, like, I, and Paul's like 10 times I, I I'm like really like mellow compared to Paul. So he was, these poor guards that are next to him. So Paul points out that in all circumstances, even the ones that like look bad, even the really difficult ones, sometimes those are the ones where the gospel is most uh, able to go out. Sometimes those are the most powerful moments. Look, the darker that it is, the brighter the light shines. Right? If it's mediumly bright, then you turn on your flashlight at dusk. It doesn't do a lot of, you know, but if it's dark, dark, and you turn on your flashlight, it becomes quite obvious. And so sometimes in those darkest, difficult times is when, when Jesus is able to best be magnified. It's really interesting as I look at Paul, he's in prison, all this kind of good work. But sometimes it's hard for me to share Jesus, like in the comfort of my office with donuts. And like, my life is like so good. And yet I find it hard to share about Jesus while Paul is doing it while he's in prison, you know. He, he shared Jesus, and for it, he went to prison. At that point, I'd be like doubting, right? Like, God, I was doing your thing, and now I'm in prison, and they may execute me, like as in dead, and he's like, yeah, more Jesus. I'd be tempted to be like, eh, maybe a little less Jesus. But he isn't. So our take-home one today is perhaps we need to carefully consider Paul's example, and perhaps we need to respond like his church responded. See, as they heard about Paul and as they read through their letter of Philippians, it was to them, they were responding with an outpouring of the gospel through their lives to live their faith out loud. And perhaps we need to respond the same way, no matter our situations, to proclaim the gospel without fear. He continues on to them. He said, it's true there is some things happening in your church that seem a little negative. It's true that some people in the church that's over at Philippi, they're preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but there's others out of doing it out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it really matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm rejoicing. So in Philippi, there were these preachers who were going around trying to get like uh, all big and famous, sort of like Instagram influencers of their day, right? They wanted to become popular, and they were charging like speaking fees, uh, pastors' fees to come and, and preach to the different churches. Uh, they were trying to um, build up their own reputation. They also, at the same time, were claiming to be better pastors than Paul. They were claiming to be better preachers than Paul, better speakers than Paul. 
additionally, they took the opportunity of Paul's absence, like he's in prison, he didn't like vacate, but, but they, they took that opportunity to give themselves a competitive edge in the preaching game at the time. And so there, there were these people who were really, uh, as we look at it, they were motivated at least in part by a competitive spirit which too often, I think, is apparent sometimes in uh, preachers and pastors. Maybe sometimes as a pastor, I can admit that there's been times where I envy another pastor, or I compare myself to them, or, or I want to be bigger or better than Greg Laurie, just right down the street or whatever. Ambition isn't necessarily bad. We, we always want to be the best that we could be for God, but selfish ambition is a problem. You see, selfish ambition is more concerned about my successful image, about my kingdom and my influence, rather than God's image, God's kingdom, and God's influence. So I and we as a church, we're not in competition with any other churches. Like We need to pray for every single church. It's not like when we drive by, oh, look at that church. I hope we get their people, or I hope that we get bigger than them. You know, It isn't like that. We need to pray for every church, even the ones that are in Irvine. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren, he once told me, well, he told 200 of us that were at his like prayer breakfast, but uh, <laughs> it sounded better the other way. So Pastor Rick Warren once told me and a few of my friends, uh, if, if God filled every seat in every church in Orange County this Sunday, there would still be hundreds of thousands of non-believers without chairs. He said, it's okay to pray for your church to be full and Greg Laurie's right down the street to be full and Discipleship Church right next door to be full and, and Bethel to be full and Saddleback to be full because if every seat was filled, there's still not enough seats. And so it is not a competition. We're in this together. Those are our brothers and sisters at other churches and we need to pray for them and love them and support them and care for them and not compare See, we complement, we don't compare. Ultimately, uh, uh, we see that we need to have this, this heart of Paul where he says, like, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. A.W. Tozer, a famous author and uh, pastor and theologian, he writes this, a little bit old English here, so it's his quote. Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts. Very well. That is not in their power, nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel over one or another of them in thy holy work. See, ultimately, that's the same heart of Paul. Paul says, like, people may try to exalt themselves, but it's not that. It's about the gospel going out. Paul relegates this, this false motives that some of these people had to a second-tier issue. His conclusion on their false motives was like, whatever. It doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. I don't care if they become bigger than me. I don't care if they're more important than me. And I don't care if they have greater influence than I have as long as Jesus is preached. All that mattered to Paul was that souls were saved. And it was paramount in his mind 
And it didn't matter how they heard, just that they heard. And he continues on here in, in Philippians and writes them, after he wrote that part, he says, yes, and I'm just going to continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Here we have joy and rejoicing again and again. Despite other people moving in on his territory, despite being in prison, we find Paul full of joy. Here we see anew that prayer matters. Like the prayer itself doesn't get things done. It's not like prayers are uh, like a magic spell where you incant them and you can like say them wrong or you could mess them up. That's not how prayer works. Rather, prayer is access to the power of Jesus. See, Jesus is the power. Jesus is the answerer of prayers through the Holy Spirit. It's not that the prayer in itself has, has power. So how do my prayers work to move the Holy Spirit? Like, how does it work that when I pray, that, that God moves to action? I don't know. I don't know how it works. And I know it's not a formula, and it's not like, okay, do these three things, and then your prayers get answered, or it's not, it, it isn't that kind of thing. But what I do know is that I trust in the God of the universe who holds my prayers. I, I think my prayers are going to fail and be and lame and they don't sound really Christian-y most of the time. And some people are like, I think you're taking it too lightly. And this is the best I got. But I, I don't trust in my prayer. I trust in the one who hears my prayer. See, it's not about my prayer. It's about God who is amazing. And even the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will help you when you sound like an idiot. He'll translate your prayers for you. He said, you can even do this. Like, and he can translate the groan of your heart, right? Because sometimes that's all you got is like, he's like, what he meant was. Yeah. And so it's not my prayer that's magic. It's God that's majestic. See, It's God that's powerful, not my prayer. And so I trust in a powerful God and that's why I pray to him. And I don't know how it works, and it's not a one-to-one activation thing. I, I just don't know. But I know that it does work. I know that prayer does matter. And Paul here says he knows that prayers are going to deliver him. Now, he's using this, this knowing, not in the sense of like a prophetic sense, but like I think it's probably going to happen. Just like, like I know the Clippers are going to be better than the Lakers this season. That's actually just prophetic. That's not opinion. <laughs> Um, but I use that in the sense of like, I think it's probably true. And most people probably think it's true. Come on, be realist, right? <laughs> or maybe not. All right, so uh, we <laughs> two injuries and it's all gone. Right? <laughs> um, and we recognize that Paul is using this, that knowing not in a prophetic language based on the next sentences that he gives. He says, I e- eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed but I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. See, whether by life or by death. See, not positive what's going to happen. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul lived his life not to preserve or promote his own life for himself, but rather to glorify Jesus. If Jesus decided, hey, Paul, the best way for you to glorify me is to die, then Paul would be like, I'm all in on that. That is totally okay. That sounds good to me, Jesus. But isn't it easy for us to dictate to God how he can and cannot glorify himself in our lives? 
Isn't that easy for us to do? God, if my business succeeds, I will glorify you. But if my business fails, I'm going to be pissed at God. You are then dictating how God will get glory through your life circumstances. But rather say, God, if my business is successful, I'm going to glorify you. And if my business fails, God, I'm going to glorify you. Father, I'm praying for this pregnancy of this person that I, that I know and love. And if that baby is healthy, I will glorify you. But if that baby gets sick and dies, God, I'm going to doubt you. You see, we are dictating to God what situations he will be glorified in. And God says that's not how it works. And Paul reminds us, whether life or death, good or bad, up or down, God, you're glorified in all of it. Though he is personally facing the real possibility of death, it didn't matter. What mattered that was Christ would be exalted if he lived, and Christ would be exalted if he died. That's so powerful. Because sometimes we get scared to honor God. Like we're, we're scared to speak up for him because, because we could lose our job. Maybe you're at a more liberal company, and if you speak up for Jesus, you might actually lose your job. Or maybe if you speak up for Jesus, you might lose some friendships. If you speak up for Jesus, you could create a really uncomfortable situation with some of your family members, maybe with some of your friends. And then I think about it, and I want you to think about it. How do those thoughts line up when set next to Paul's mentality? Paul says, like, if I get killed right up in here, that's awesome. It's for God's glory. If I live, it's for God's glory. And I say, Maybe I won't share the gospel because I'll feel uncomfortable. Maybe I'd lose my job. How do my thoughts line up with Paul's mentality? And I would say my thoughts tend to line up shockingly weak. Right? So, so then I have to decide, am I okay with being shockingly weak? No. <laughs> right? I don't want to be shockingly weak. Take home tears. Take home number two here. Seriously. Have we decided that we will not follow the example of Paul and that we will not listen to the command of Jesus to share the gospel? Listen carefully. Have we decided that we're not going to listen to the example of Paul and we're not going to listen to Jesus when they both say share the gospel even if it costs you your life or your job? Your job is less than your life, right? So if it'll cost your life, your job is like half that at least or a friendship or a comfort situation. And, and many of us may have already tapped out, even before it was uncomfortable. But are you okay with being that shockingly weak? It's up to you. Here Paul continues, and there's more. If I'm to go on living in the body, he says, if, if I do get to live, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? If I had a choice, he says, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. Like, I desire to depart, to be with Christ. That would be, like, better by far. It's like, man, I hope they kill me. I get to be with Jesus. But it's probably more necessary for you that I get stuck here on the earth. I mean, that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I'm going to probably remain. (laughs) And I'll continue with all of you for your progress and, and, and the joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will even increase. It will abound on account of me. You see, death is not the defeat of the Christian. It's a graduation to glory. It's a net gain. 
See, if you die, you actually get eternal life. That's better for you. And Paul is recognizing this. There is no doubt in Paul's mind, though, if he doesn't die, if he lives, God's plan for him was to be fruitful. Do you hear Paul's mentality? He makes an assumption of fruitfulness. He says, God, if I die, which would be way better because I'm going to be with you, but if I live, I know that it's going to be a fruitful life for you. He makes an assumption of fruitfulness that we would do well to copy. So here's our take-home number three. We need to get in the mindset that God is absolutely going to make me fruitful. You need to have that in your mind, where that is your mantra. God is going to make me fruitful. It isn't Apostle Paul or Pastor Sam. It's Susan and Miran and Brandon and Peter and every single one of us. See, we need to make the same assumption of fruitfulness. God, if you let me live tomorrow, if I wake up on a Monday morning and I get to go to work, I am going to assume, God, you are going to do fruitful things in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, fruit of the Spirit, that sort of stuff. Caring, loving others, sharing the gospel. I'm going to assume that if you wake up Monday morning, now if we all die in some scary James Jones cult, then don't kill yourself, but you know, if God takes us away, then awesome. We'll all be with him in glory. But if you wake up tomorrow morning, let us make an assumption that God is going to bear fruit in your life on Monday. And then when you wake up on Tuesday, you wake up and say, I'm assuming this Tuesday is going to be a powerful Tuesday. I'm assuming this is going to be the best day of my spiritual life because it's a, a day better than yesterday was. Paul makes an assumption of fruitfulness. He says, if I get to live, that's going to mean fruitfulness. It's, not a, it's like, well, maybe, or, or probably this might work out like that, or I'll try really hard for, for me to be fruitful. He says, if I get to live, it will mean fruitfulness fruitfulness in life. If you get to live, it will mean fruitfulness as we stay connected to Jesus. Remember what he says in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You stay connected to me. All the power is available. So you stay connected to Jesus. Fruit will be born in you. You don't even have to manufacture it. You just exist. You're near to Jesus on Monday morning. Then then fruit is going to be there. And let us make that assumption of fruitfulness. So if you stay alive this week, then awesome. You can do some good God work. And if you die this week, awesome, because you're with Jesus. So it's a win-win either way. This perspective gets us from, uh, keeps us from getting life-obsessed, as if this life were the only thing or the most important thing. That's life-obsessed. But, but you know what? We don't have to be. This, this life is okay. But there's something much better, a life with Jesus. A life lived here with him. And even if I die here, a life in eternity with him. And so that mentality keeps us from just caring only about my life. There's no need to worry about death. There's no need to even worry about tomorrow. Here's what Paul tells the Corinthian church. He says to them, death has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. Where, O oh death, then is your victory? Where, where O oh death, is your sting? Like what is, there's no sting in death anymore. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, which ultimately separates us from Jesus. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As it happened, Paul survived this imprisonment. He was set free. He continued to bear fruit. A little while later, he was rearrested, and ultimately he was taken to Rome, and he was killed for the gospel. No crime. 
because he shared Jesus. He didn't wait for the right time. <laughs> he didn't want to embarrass anybody. He did it even though he would be killed. And ultimately he was. He writes this, whatever happens, if he lives or dies at this time, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, church, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. To his church, he tells them that no matter what happens to me, they ought to live in a way that's worthy of Christ. And I say us too. Here's our take home number four. Conduct your business or your studies in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. You figure that out. Conduct your dating relationships or your marriage relationships or your friendships in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your parenting, in your volunteering, at your kids' sports teams, when you serve at church or you give offering or in the internal parts of your own heart, in your life, live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like a good pastor, Paul tells his people that he's going to check up on them and he's going to hold them accountable to living worthy and staying as one together for the gospel without being fragmented or, or fractionalized. Not unity so that they can like uh, just have fun and, and be all comfortable, but unity that's so that plan A, the church, would fulfill her mission of reaching the gospel, of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some really cool striving language right here in this passage that highlights the importance of, of our church doing God's work together. They're pulling as one in the tug of war against the enemy, not pulling against one another and the enemy. You see, he says, church, you need to be united so that you pull in the same direction, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not pull against one another. He says, when you do this, church, when you're together, when you're showing love, when you're bearing fruit, when you're not life-obsessed, all these kind of things, these are going to be a sign to those who are against you. These, these are a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Look, when our, when our spiritual enemies fail to make us afraid, they have failed completely. Because the enemy really has no other weapon other than fear and intimidation. If, if fear is taken away, then what hold would the enemy have on you? Right? If you weren't fearful of what people will think or fearful of like how, how the finances work out or fearful if you lost your job or fearful for your kids or fearful, if fear fell away, what does the enemy have left to hit us with? Nothing. And so Paul says, as you follow God in joy, no matter the circumstances, he said that's a sign to the enemy that they've lost. When Christians aren't in any way terrified by their adversaries, that in itself is proof of the pending destruction that the enemy's already lost. Additionally, when Christians are not in any way terrified of their adversaries, it is also evidence of their own salvation. That yes, Jesus 
It is not mere spoken words from my mouth, but I actually trust you. I actually think you're real. And so if I get put in prison, fine. It's going to work out for the gospel. If someone punches my face, awesome, because it's going to honor the gospel. And if, if my business fails, then that's cool, because you're going to be doing something in the gospel for that. It's a sign of our salvation that we can trust God fully and not have fear any longer. We confidently stand in the assurance of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and if that is true, real, right, what does the enemy have? There is nothing that we could fear here on the planet. If I wake up tomorrow, no matter what happens tomorrow, it's going to be fruit for God. If I don't wake up, then it's going to be way better because I'm going to be in heaven. So either way, it's going to be good. There's a funny thing, well, not so funny, but I, I love how Paul writes, for it has been, if we could get that verse back up there real fast, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Ooh, what's been granted to me on behalf of Christ? To suffer for him. Like, oh man. Right? God has granted you a gift. And that gift is to suffer. We don't often think of that as a Christian life. The Philippians didn't need to fear their present difficulties nor Paul's present circumstances. It didn't mean that God had abandoned them. Their present difficulty was granted to them. It wasn't a punishment. God says, I'm going I'm to give you this gift, a tool in God's hand. Following Jesus is not a guarantee of comfort. It's not a guarantee of a successful, easy life or good times. It is a guarantee of joy, no matter the circumstance. It is a guarantee of of trust in the Heavenly Father. It is a guarantee of goodness and something much better than anything the world has to offer. But it is not a guarantee of smooth sailing all the way. That is not how Christianity works. Now, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, today, right here, maybe, maybe you had the best week of your life. Maybe, maybe you're bored with the monotony of it all. Maybe you're facing life-threatening or life-altering decisions, at least. Maybe, maybe you're in a really difficult season of life. I don't know. But we can walk in joy and confidence, knowing that, that God will be glorified through it all if, if we keep Jesus at the center and we allow him to produce fruit in our lives. Let's pray together, and we're going to sing a worship song, Back to Jesus. Father, as you prepare us for this week, my big favorite moment today is that you want to make an assumption of fruit in our lives. So when we wake up tomorrow, if we wake up tomorrow, we're going to wake up excited because you have something planned. It doesn't mean I'm winning the lottery, but it means that your gospel is going to be proclaimed in my life. I'm going to get a chance to share kindness with someone on Monday morning. I'm going to get a chance to share a smile and a chance to encourage someone. I, there'll be a chance to pray over someone. There'll be a chance to share Jesus with someone. There'll be a chance to, to honor you uh, in the way I conduct business on Monday. So God, we want you to be glorified in all that we do, good and bad, up and down. Move us so that we could be like Paul. 
Would you join me in praying that right before we, we worship? Asking God, God, help me to have the mindset of Paul. I don't want to be shockingly weak. I want to be like Paul as I follow Jesus and as he followed Jesus. Would you pray that with me in the morning?